if someone's just like, go, 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 and not pausing every once in a while to take inventory, like, how am I feeling? Why do I feel this way right now? Which was huge, especially in a marriage. Like that is huge (laughs) because I can be so irritated with my husband And instead of reacting, I'll like, let it go, let it go. And then I'll think like, what is it about this situation that is making me so irritated? And I can really start to pinpoint what it is. And half the time, it's not him. It's not what he's doing. It's, it's like, it's the expectations of what I had in that moment. And it's like, well, why did you have those expectations? Like he doesn't know about those expectations. So you can't, You know, like if you really think about things like that, it's just, it's so refreshing, I find. Renee Rina had a full ride scholarship to a university in Florida to play volleyball. After her first semester, she realized that she missed playing volleyball for fun and a move back home to Canada was in order. With the decision to switch schools and direction came the challenges of navigating her identity without volleyball something she'd played for so many years of her life. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. Years later, Renee holds a master's and a PhD in psychology, has started a family, and is growing her social media platforms and podcast quickly and with intention. She's the mom friend you've always wanted with her relatability and her ability to find humor in all things mom life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. With psychology training in defense mechanisms, attachment, reflective functioning, and more, this conversation is right up my alley. We speak about the socialization of young girls, being quiet, and how crucial it is to share stories and questions and experiences regarding motherhood. We jump in after I've asked Renee where she's from and to tell us a little bit about her identity pivot after her volleyball days. I am from Sudbury, Ontario, which is a smaller city in Northern Ontario. And so getting a full volleyball scholarship to a division one school in the NCAA is huge, right? Like I'm a Canadian, I'm from, you know, a small city, Northern Ontario, and I'm going to school in Florida. It was also big for me because I specifically remember when I was younger, we had a place in Florida and I was on vacation with my mamere and my cousin and my mom. And we were driving down one of the interstate highways and I saw this big sign. I think I was like 13 and I saw this sign and it was like Florida, whatever university, like this exit. And I remember thinking to myself in the car, like I remember this so vividly thinking like there's universities in Florida. Cause to me, I was like, Florida is like Disneyland and, you know, Bush gardens, Mm -hmm. like where we go on vacation and there's universities here. And I was like, I'm going to go to school in Florida. I'm going to go to university in Florida. So then when I was playing volleyball in high school and we ended up winning like the provincial championship. So we got a lot of attention and I was starting to get letters from schools in the U.S. about volleyball scholarships. Mm -hmm. And then I got one from a school in Florida. And I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) like I am going here. Yeah. So went there, did one semester. Absolutely. Like it was a shock 
because volleyball wasn't for fun anymore. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like I was a friend with my coach. My coach was really like manipulative. Like it was just really difficult. And at the same time, I'm 18 or 17 years old away from home for the first time Mm -hmm. in a different country. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was a lot. And I made the decision before I went on Christmas break from school to not return. So I finished the second semester just to finish the school year, but I was no longer on the team. And then after that year, I went home. And the reason it was a massive pivot was because my kind of identity at that point was I'm an athlete. Like I am focused on sports. This is what I'm going to do. And then once I left that team, there was no volleyball team at the university in my hometown in Sudbury. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a volleyball team. So it was like, okay, I'm going from, you know, a D1 scholarship volleyball athlete to now I'm going to university where there's not even a team. So that was huge. So I have a huge question about shame because a lot of feelings I feel like about shame, you've now really been so jazzed about volleyball and a scholarship and like all expenses paid like that in itself just screams, wow. Mm -hmm. So how did you transition back into or navigate forward moving away from what you pictured were going to be the next, what, four years of your life? Yeah. Yeah. Was there shame associated with that? It, I think about this all the time. My parents were so supportive Mm. and I didn't have the feeling like they would be upset that I was leaving, not just like to give up the opportunity, but also financial reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because now I'm, I'm coming home. I'm going to school in Canada there's no volleyball team. They don't even have scholarships in Canada. They just have like financial aid stuff. Mm -hmm. So now they're going to have to pay my tuition. And, you know, I, they never made me feel that way at all. And I think they understood that I wasn't enjoying it. Um, I wasn't able to fully focus on school. So really, if you're thinking long-term, what am I going to do after playing four years of volleyball and not really focusing on my like the academic part, right? So I honestly think I didn't feel any kind of shame or like I was making the wrong decision. And that came down from my parents. Mm. Like they never made me feel that way at all. It wasn't even questioned. It was like, okay, you want to come home, go to school here and focus on school instead. That's great. And so I think what also helps the transition is that I moved my focus from I'm going to focus on volleyball to now I'm going to focus on school and I'm going to do that really good. Right. Okay. So you're taking that drive. I understand that completely. And now I'm curious about what you ended up chasing in the world of academics. Right. So (laughs) I, it's funny and uh, like the NCAA is very interesting. So going into university, I knew that I wanted to do psychology. I wanted that to be my major, but In the NCAA, at this school anyways, they didn't want you to select a major in your first two years of being at the school. Because if you're an athlete and you have a major, now you have to meet those requirements of that major in order to continue to play on your sports team. Mm. So I had to go in as an undecided 
athlete and kind of like take the classes that I would need to then switch into psychology in my third year. So we had a three hour practice in the middle of the day, Monday to Friday. We had like weight training at 7 a.m. every day. It was like you were trying to fit your classes around volleyball. Like I was at like a major volleyball camp and just trying to like scatter school around volleyball. Mm. So that was like a huge difference. I think in Canada, because there are no major scholarships and like sports teams are not these major money makers, there's more focus on academics as opposed to the sports. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I went back to school at home, I signed up for psychology and just focused on that right from day one. I'm so intrigued with the psychology thing because I'm so fascinated with all things psych and how the brain works and how we just function as adults based on childhood stuff. Like that's actually where I'm in right now. I'm I'm so into it. So <laughs> pre-recording, you mentioned that you'd actually just recently finished a PhD. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me about this. This is amazing. Yeah. So that's how focused I was on school. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because my experience in Florida, everybody had to take a math class in their first year, their freshman year of university. And I was so terrified of it. I left that class. It was like algebra or whatever it was. Mm. So when I came back to school in Canada, in psychology, you have to take statistics. And I was so scared. I remember going to that professor's office and being like, I just switched over from a school in Florida, like, because I had missed a week or something of class. Like, is there anything I missed? Like, I was so terrified of statistics because I was thinking it was similar to math which it's not, but I didn't know that at the time, but I ended up getting my best grade was in statistics because I was so afraid of it that I just worked so hard at it. Jumping into a PhD program, that's big. Yeah. What was your original idea going into just the PhD in general, or what did you foresee doing with a PhD? I knew that I wanted to go to grad school because I love school. I was like, how can I stay in school the longest possible Mm -hmm. amount of time? So out of my undergrad in Sudbury, I went to do a master's program in Ottawa at Carleton University. Mm -hmm. And then after that master's program, I did the PhD program at the University of Ottawa with the same supervisor. So my intention was always to do clinical psychology and work therapy with people, but I, I applied the number of positions in those programs are so small and it's so competitive. So I ended up instead of waiting and continuing to try and get into the clinical programs, I just did the academic route and doing research on therapy instead. Mm. So my intention was after the PhD program, at first it was to be a professor, but, you know, marrying my husband, he's a physician. We kind of have to go wherever his job takes him. Mm -hmm. Um, And because he's a specialist and not a family doctor, we can't just like start an office wherever we want. So I knew that being a professor was going to be unlikely Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of positions uh, for people and you kind of have to be willing to move wherever. So that kind of like went away. So then I kind of saw myself working at a big research center like a hospital research institute in Toronto because we're in the GTA now. So that's kind of what I was planning on doing. 
we're going to come back to this, but fast forward a little bit. So you're a wife, you're growing a family, and now you have made this incredible presence in the world of social media. So take me there. Yeah. So I really started doing mom-related stuff probably, like I started writing a blog shortly after Milo was born, just talking about things that I was experiencing that I had no idea. Like I was not expecting at all because people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I would share, like write my thoughts in my blog. I would share it on Instagram. And then I realized that like, oh, like it turns out that we're all feeling the exact same thing. Just people don't tell you about these parts of especially early motherhood. Um, So from there, I was just posting more on Instagram and then really started TikTok once quarantine started like everybody else <laughs> like oh i like i'm stuck at home with my toddler what am i going to do let's make TikToks but yeah up until march 2020 i wasn't really active on TikTok and then as i was saying before I finished my PhD days before quarantine. I literally was in Ottawa to defend my dissertation on March 7th or 8th. And then like days later, Toronto shut down. Mm -hmm. So it was like, that was like the second pivot in my life was my intention was to now, okay, I'm done my PhD. I'm going to apply to all these research institutes, get a job somewhere in the GTA, do research, like health related research. And then in quarantine, it just kind of changed into creating content, making TikToks, continuing with the blog. And then I started the podcast. So now I have all these different things going on, which I had not expected, but now that I'm loving. So a year and a half now into this, what have been some of your biggest lessons in the process? Well, like from a work perspective, it's interesting because I was in academia at the grad school level for like 10 years. So it's interesting to jump into a completely different industry to where like people are asking you for things all the time. And it it was just so odd to me. And so it it took me a long time to get comfortable saying no to people Mm. and like basically knowing my worth in what I'm doing that my community is worth something. And I do like, it is a lot of work to build that community, to maintain relationships in that community. And so it wasn't until I had a conversation with her name's Marley Cohen. She's Kale and Crunches on Instagram. I had a phone conversation with her that like changed my life with regard to working in social media because she like explained to me what basically like the value that I had. So it started to become a little bit easier to say no to people and be like, it's it's such an odd thing. I still obviously have a hard time talking about it, but people asking you to do things for free and you're like, you feel like you have to do it just because you have this platform, but you have to learn how to say no and pick and choose what you want to do. Right. You said something that I wrote down, self-worth and understanding your worth. Yes, I feel like that in itself is such a lesson, like such a valuable lesson. But once you know, you can't unknow it. There's no changing. Oh, yeah. 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 Big time. I also am curious just about self-regulation. You know, what are some personal practices that you have in order to just maintain regulation or some sort of balance in your life? 
I am very, and I've been like this throughout grad school as well. I will binge work. Like I listen to my body. So, you know, usually like Mondays, Tuesdays, and sometimes Wednesdays, I am go-getter, nonstop, busy, 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 getting so much stuff done. And then on Thursday and Friday, if I just want to kind of like putter around and do things here or there, or do something that's more just fun for me to do, as opposed to work related, I'll do that. If I need time to rest and reset, I give that to myself. Like perfect example was yesterday we passed a terrible, I had so many plans yesterday. I was like, I'm going to start to practice essentialism and I'm time batching my whole day so that I'm more productive and I'm not spending time on things that don't matter. So I time batched out my entire day. I was like ready to go. And then on the way to daycare, we passed this horrific accident and Mm -hmm. I saw somebody who was passed away and it was so upsetting to me, but I didn't realize how upsetting it was until I got home and was able to like release Mm -hmm. emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm canceling all my meetings. I had a doctor's appointment. I canceled that. And I just gave myself the entire day to like cry and be upset and talk to people about what had happened. And today I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And like, I was able to sleep last night. And if I didn't give myself that time yesterday, like who knows what the rest of my week would have looked like. Right. Mm -hmm. So I am very self-aware when it comes to my emotions and what I'm feeling and if I need a break and need to reset. But then when I want to work, I am like, go, 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 go. Hey friends, the safe haven will be right back after this quick break. Okay. So is the working and the go, go, go energy that you bring forward into your work now and even through academia big time as well. Is that something that you've now become more self-aware of or were you always able to recognize that you needed the time and the space to process things around you? Um, I think my training in psychology has made me who I am today mm-hmm. and has made me much more self-aware just because of the nature of things that I studied. So like defense mechanisms, which are basically like coping mechanisms. So I'm trained in defense mechanisms. I'm trained in attachment and reflective functioning. So why do I feel this way? How is what I'm doing affecting my partner or Mm. my friend? Like being very reflective, but you can't be reflective unless you give yourself the time to be reflective, Mm -hmm. right? If someone's just like, go, 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 and not pausing every once in a while to take inventory, like, how am I feeling? Why do I feel this way right now? Which was huge, especially in a marriage. Like that is huge Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I can be so irritated with my husband. And instead of reacting, I'll like, let it go, let it go. And then I'll think like, what is it about this situation that is making me so irritated? And I can really start to pinpoint what it is and half the time, it's not him. It's not what he's doing. It's he, it's like, yeah. it's the expectations of what I had in that moment. And it's like, well, why did you have those expectations? Like, he doesn't know about those expectations. So you can't, you know, like, if you really think about things like that, it's just, it's so refreshing, oh, I find. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that they can't read our minds. So oh, we yeah. have to communicate. <laughs> I feel yeah. the same way. I get that. 
I just had a really incredible conversation with a girlfriend yesterday, actually. And we were talking about how we're socialized growing up as young girls just to be quiet and to keep it to yourself and to be the good girl and don't be too chatty and blah, blah, blah. And how that can play out in our adult relationships. You know, we often just suppress and just really sweep the shit under the rug that we don't want to bring up and talk about and about how it takes that practice. And then once we finally feel safe emotionally and mentally or physically too, I guess depends, but in a relationship or in a space that we can communicate our needs, how much Mm. that changes the game. But for some people, it might take years. Other people, it might not. But I know that even for myself, it's such a challenge to speak out my truth without bawling my eyes out because I'm so afraid to rock the boat. But (laughs) the reflection is key and the safety is key. Yeah, I'm not married, but I certainly treat my relationship like a marriage and I'm so committed to just the reflection. But yeah, I was going to say like with regard to the sharing your needs, especially in motherhood, because now you have another human Mm -hmm. that you're responsible for and your partner, obviously you have expectations, like you're both taking care of this little human. Mm -hmm. It is so important to share what you need, if you need help, if you want help. And I talk a lot about martyr tendencies Mm -hmm. in motherhood where, like you were saying, you don't say anything, you don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I've done this too, but the difference is I catch myself when I'm doing it. And it's so helpful if you catch yourself. The example that I gave on social media was my husband just like, we went upstairs to go give Milo a bath and I wanted to have a shower. And we had already like said, my husband, I'll give him a bath and I'll go have a shower and then I'll meet them after. And so I put Milo in the tub and my husband ended up just going into our closet and he was like getting his clothes ready for the next day. And I'm like, running the bathtub, like stewing inside because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, like you're supposed to be giving the bath. Like now here I am like filling the tub and I'm getting so angry inside. And I remember thinking to myself, Renee, why don't you just say something then? Mm -hmm. He, he probably has no idea. Like he just like got distracted and started organizing Mm -hmm. his clothes, but I'm in the bathroom. Like, Oh, that's it. Like, and you know what? I'm not even going to say anything. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to finish the bath and I'm not going to get to shower and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, okay, you're being silly. And so my husband walks by the bathroom and he's like, oh, did you want to go have a shower? And my, my martyr instinct was to be like, no, never mind. It's fine. You know? And Mm -hmm. I was like, Renee, don't say that. Just say, yep. And hop up and be happy and go have your shower. And it changed the course of that evening. Like that evening ended up being totally fine. Absolutely. Yeah. But there is, you're so right. The reflection, the awareness of it, and then also the commitment to actually speak out your needs. All of it is so hard. (laughs) It is hard. It is hard. But once you do it and you see the reward of Mm -hmm. what happens when you do do it, it becomes easier to do. Yes. Oh, I could talk to you forever about this stuff. This is my jam, especially because I'm so incredibly fascinated just with how our brains work and how this stuff plays out, especially from like we, like I said earlier about the early childhood traumas or childhood experiences, patterning, what we see, how we experience things, what we suppress from a very young age, and then how it plays out in adulthood. Like I cannot get enough of this stuff. So I know <laughs> it's so interesting to me, but being really mindful of your time here. I'd love to ask you my three safe haven style questions. Okay. Okay. What are you most proud of? Oh, 
I would say my, like the family that we have built. So me, my husband, I have to mention my two dogs um, (laughs) and our son, (laughs) because I just, I think we are excellent parents. It's very difficult and we have really difficult moments, but then also like our relationship that we are modeling for Milo, I love, and I'm very proud of. Yeah. And it's interesting to say that no one, I don't even think I've been asked that question before because I think on paper, people would be like, wow, you have a PhD, like you got a D1, like full scholarship. Like there's lots of things that I could point to, Mm -hmm. but like at the end of the day, a long-term thing that you can be proud of that is really difficult Mm -hmm. is like building the family that you envisioned yourself having Mm -hmm. when you were younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's so true that it's not about the credentials. It's not about the accomplishments and achievements so much as it is what you're creating emotionally, emotionally, like the emotional bonds are so beautiful too. Yes. Like on a a day-to-day basis, I'm not like, oh, wow, I got that PhD. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Like, no, (laughs) it doesn't even matter. (laughs) Yeah. So true. And I also wrote down the word modeling. I'm an educator as well. So I feel like the modeling, like the proof is in the punch. If you can bring your best self into a space where you're interacting with others, that's what they remember and that's what they see. And for me to walk out on a Friday afternoon and leave my marking there because I've tapped out and because me taking home marking over the weekend will not allow me to reset and to bring my best self forward on Monday. Mm. And best self is also a very loaded term, but that's kind of what I use with my students too, that I need to make sure that my mental and emotional and physical and spiritual health is maxed in order to bring who I want to be in front of you here every day. Yep. Modeling, big one, good one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, the next one is, what would you like to be known for? It depends. Like I think about that in two different ways, like known in terms of my family remembering me or known because I am in a more public like social media space or known for like work. So yeah, if I had to choose like the social media thing, I, I think it would be to known for starting conversations that are typically not talked about and are not Mm -hmm. kind of mainstream with regard to postpartum and, you know, marriage after having kids and like mental health in postpartum um, and just like the everyday struggles of parenting. Because I think for the longest time it was painted as this blissful hashtag blessed thing. And then people become parents or you become a mom and you're like, well, I don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? And it's it, it makes it almost worse because there's these expectations in the world that you're supposed to be the happiest you've ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard and it's a struggle some days. So if you're not, you know, matching up to this hashtag blessed life that you're surrounded by on social media, then that can be a struggle. So I hope known for just like normalizing the difficulty of parenthood and what motherhood actually is in real life. Mm, And it's so needed. 
helping mm-hmm. people feel less alone in that space. Because like you said, even the blog that you were starting, where you're bringing up these things that you weren't reading about and weren't available for you, feeling super alone in that space and being like, holy shit, like actually a lot of people feel this way. Yeah. 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 No, instead people are worrying about like decorating their nursery and, you know, mm-hmm. instead of like, oh, what's actually going to happen to me? Like emotionally, Mm -hmm. like what are some things that I can expect to go through in the first six months, first 12 months? So yeah, I always talk about preparing for postpartum as opposed to preparing for labor and delivery and just trying to put more of a focus on early motherhood Mm -hmm. as opposed to labor and delivery, which is over in, you know, it's very temporary. Mm -hmm. Great point. And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? I would say to work on self-awareness and communication and just like it can be so uncomfortable at first, but if you like, once you get through it the first time, you'll be like, wow, I'm so happy that I said something. Mm-hmm. For me, having anxiety, like I've struggled with anxiety for so long, I learned quickly that just talking to someone about it lifted so much weight off my shoulders. And it Mm -hmm. was like, you have to talk to people. So I would say that work on communicating with people that you have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just in conversation with someone that I love, very, very dearly. The other day we were talking about how I, whether it was by choice or just by the universe being like, here you go, here's your team. I've really surrounded myself with people who really find value in therapy, psychotherapy, counseling, talking out their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And myself even, I've started seeing a psychotherapist and I'm obsessed with with what I'm learning and with the tools and the strategies that I'm able to bring forward. So this person that I love and she and I were having this conversation and based on the generational perspectives or opinions or beliefs about counseling, therapy, all of the things were that that doesn't happen and you don't need that unless something is terribly wrong. So then I was just kind of reminding this person and I said, you can't use mental health and mental illness interchangeably. We all have mental health. We don't all struggle with mental illness. So therefore, in order to maintain mental health, like physical health, that's why I choose to go. Even if it's once every six weeks or two months, I go to maintain my mental health and then to use those strategies and to not dump everything on that one person. So the fact that therapy, counseling, self-awareness, commitment to self, all of this stuff, being aware of how often you self-abandon even mentally or emotionally in a process, I think is so critical for all of us and for the lens of compassion that we need to see the world through mm-hmm. and normalizing the conversations about what we are going through. So I wish everybody could go see a therapist. I am so too. lucky because the majority of my best friends are psychologists because that's who I went to school with. Mm-hmm. So I'm so lucky. So for like yesterday, who did I reach out to after the incident in the morning? My friend who's a clinical psychologist, she gave me a bunch of tools that I could use. And it's like, I am lucky to have that. She is very accessible to me, Mm -hmm. um, but not everybody has that. You're absolutely right. I was just going to say that we are so 
privileged and, and that yeah. that privilege, you know, it does put us aside from people that need this so deeply and can't access it. Yeah. And I think, like you said, there's such a focus on physical health and people don't put the same amount of effort into maintaining or improving their mental health. Yeah. And it's so important. Hopefully like I'm, I'm thinking it's starting to change just because there's so much talk about it on social media and there's so many great resources that are accessible via social media and TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, super important. Mm-hmm. I've loved this, Renee. Thank you so much. Where can oh. people find you online? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and TikTok at Renee Rena, R-E-I-N-A. That's how you spell Rena um, with the little underscore thingamajig at the end. And then my podcast is called The Mom Room Podcast, and that is everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah. And the podcast has an Instagram account, too. It's so beautiful. It's at The Mom Room Podcast on Instagram. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so so much for this chat yeah thanks for having me this was such a good this is like the conversation i love conversations like this me too well you will have to come back then because we could just go off about all of these other things yes totally all these nerdy things yes thank you (laughs) renee this was such a treat i really really appreciate your time and i cannot wait to have you back on the safe haven to continue where we left off with all things, how the brain works, psychology, and how these patterns play out in adulthood. Like this stuff is my jam. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform and I am committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories please be sure to tag us at the safe haven podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow for more great podcasts. Check out frequency and I will talk to you next week.